everybody. Welcome to Theater Schmooze from Alliance for Jewish Theater, where we chat with Jewish theater makers from around the world about their art, Judaism, and vision for theater's future. I'm your host, Danielle Levsky. Today, we'll be talking with Anna Ziegler, who is a playwright based in Brooklyn, New York City. It is such an honor to have you on our podcast, Anna. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Well, I want to get right into it and start talking with you about writing Jewish characters and stories with a current modern lens. Um, I was really fascinated about how you talked about this in the AJT conference last year with Jeremy a little bit. And I would like to talk with you more about the wanderers coming up at Roundabout Theater and how you are incorporating those lenses into these upcoming productions. So for me, I think I'll take a step back and just say, I really discovered that my Jewish identity was a strong part of my identity by the fact that I was drawn to writing Jewish characters. I I hadn't focused on myself um, as, you know, being a particularly, as that being a particularly significant part of who I was. it was a part of who I was growing up, but I didn't think of myself that way. And then I started writing plays and most of my early plays included at least one Jewish character or, you know, were investigating um, what it meant to be Jewish in the world. So in that way, I discovered that that was obviously a bigger part of my own kind of journey than I had realized. In terms of the wanderers, I was initially drawn to, I would say, the the voice of this ambitious, sort of arrogant novelist character who's at the center of it. He's a modern secular Jew in Brooklyn. He's a writer. And the play, very loosely inspired by these emails that Jonathan Safran Foer and Natalie Portman wrote to each other that the New York Times published, where they were you know, kind of, it was kind of a, you know, flirtation by way of um, intellectual one-upsmanship. They were, they were definitely trying to mm-hmm. outsmart each other. And I, and it's very sort of Philip Rothian to that, the voice of this man who is, I think, deeply insecure, but also, you know, an incredible wordsmith and incredibly neurotic. I'm, I'm drawn to those sort of unfiltered not very self-aware voices because they're really fun to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that so that character, who I think is timeless, is at the center of this story about a sort of modern marriage that's tested by his flirtation or relationship with a celebrity. And it also is the story of his mother and her departure from the Hasidic sect that she was born into. So they are both unsatisfied, restless in their lives. And, and this, I guess, is a, seems particularly, seems like a way to look at Judaism through a contemporary lens in the sense that we are, I think, a people who are constantly wandering. We've never, you know, we traditionally don't have a home. And, and yeah. I think that that sort of translates to a kind of existential angst 
even when we do literally have homes and stability, but this sense that there's something else out there, something better, not being satisfied, you know, a kind of restlessness always. And so I, I think at least in terms of this play, I'm exploring, you know, this Jewish character through that contemporary lens of, you know, being a, a very secure in, in many ways, successful person who just cannot sit still essentially in, in his life. Mm-hmm. And what a wonderful theme to bring up at Roundabout Theater right now, right? For the past year and a half, we've all been sitting still <laughs> and questioning our personal lives and spiritual lives. And it does seem like a very fitting story for this time. It's true. And maybe people have had a lot of email correspondence flirtations too, because you, yes. you, could, you could only have an email correspondence flirtation over the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that this ties perfectly into how much digital communication we've all been doing over the past year. I wonder how many internet affairs have begun in the past year and a half because simply we can't get out of our homes and all we have is our phone and our computer. I think it speaks to that story in a really beautiful way too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's been a spike. For sure. (laughs) In working with the Roundabout Theater team, what's been the most exciting part about that in terms of the production going up and getting ready for it? Well, this has been in the in the offing for a while now. It yeah. was originally produced at the Old Globe in San Diego in, I think, 2018. Is that right? I think 2018. And I think so, yeah. it was directed by Barry Edelstein there. It was a commission for them that I, that I mm. wrote. And the Roundabout took it on or, you know, put it, programmed it pretty quickly after that production. So I've known about this production for a long time. And of course (laughs) it was going to happen this past year. Uh, So we have, we've we've been on the runway for a long time now (laughs) and, and it will be the same director and I think a bunch of the same designers. So I assume, so I'm really excited that it will hopefully have kind of the same look and feel as it did in San Diego, because I thought it was a lovely production, but we haven't started casting it yet. We are, so we're really, we're still, you know, some months away from I think truly realizing it and being the pessimistic Jew that I am, I worry that, <laughs> that we won't, that, you know, it'll be pushed back again, but I, but I am, uh, I'm hopeful that we will, that we'll, you know, sort of cross the finish line this time. Yeah, I hope so too. Is there something in the past year and a half that you've thought about for this play that you're like, I really wish this type of aspect will be incorporated into it in the Roundabout Theater production? Well, one of the most striking, I think, aspects of it in San Diego Mm -hmm. was it was done in the round, in their beautiful Mm. round space. And they, the the set designer and Barry conceived of the set as this, a, a table around table you know every every scene was, was took place at some part of this table which yeah. was kind of beautiful because you know it, it moves in time and so the the son's story and the mother's story even though they're separated by many years kind of take place at the same table it's 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 really wow. beautiful and of course the roundabout it, the stage is a proscenium it's not in the round and so i think there's so one thing that has been a question in my mind <laughs> over the last year and a half 
is how to kind of translate that idea, you know, on, on, onto a proscenium stage because it worked so well yeah. <laughs> before. But I, but I have no doubt that they will ingeniously figure out some way to do it. And this is why I'm glad I'm not a, a set designer or a director <laughs> for that matter. <laughs> I can just say, oh, I really liked that concept. <laughs> will you will you do it and hope that they will figure it out oh that that is so wonderful i'm I'm sure they will find a way uh, <laughs> as they well will. they're brilliant <laughs> yes exactly it is funny their name is the roundabout theater but yes it, it would it is i'm sure they will find a way to make it work and beautifully shine on stage <laughs> i wanted to take kind of a step to the side in terms of jewish characters that you write and talk a little bit more about Amber Cohen from Actually and Rosalind Franklin from Photograph 51. I suppose my question is, when you are writing these Jewish characters, does the inspiration come from people in your life a little bit? When you are, Especially when you're addressing real life characters, how are you incorporating elements from your background as a Jewish person into these Jewish characters that you're writing? So in terms of Amber Cohen, who is one of the two characters in my play, actually. She, I think, is probably a composite of many Jewish women I know or have known. And similarly to Abe in The Wanderers is and was a very fun character to write because she is incredibly unfiltered and neurotic. And I, I suppose I, I'm drawn to those characters who can say whatever is on their mind. And so it, it was useful to have Amber as a counterpoint to Tom, these two college students who are unfortunately you know, pitted against each other in this sexual misconduct hearing. And, yeah. and Tom is much more careful and has many more walls up. I would say, yeah, Amber, Amber is just that Philip Rothian. I mean, I, I think sort of translating that vibe or, you know, putting it in a woman's mouth is sort of a fun, a fun thing to do. Rosalind Franklin is a, is a, is a trickier one because obviously she's a historical character. I did not, you know, create her from whole cloth. And I really found my way into her, you know, through reading as much about her as I possibly could. I was struck as someone who was, was never into science. And of course, this is a play about you know, one of the most important scientific discoveries ever. Yeah, I was really daunted by this, by the task of writing this play. And it was really reading about Rosalind Franklin that, that hooked me in, just that she, I mean, not only, you know, was she a woman, but she was a Jew at a time when, especially in science, doors were closed to, mm-hmm. to women and, and Jews, and, and she managed to persevere. And of course, her sort of, headstrong nature and her perseverance was also kind of what held her back in the end. You know, if she, if she did not end up, you know, discovering the double helix, it's probably because she was, you know, she she was headstrong. She didn't want to collaborate. She was, you know, unwilling to suffer fools. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of great personality type for a playwright to try to tackle because she really kind of got in her own way. Yeah. But I, you know, it's sort of heartbreaking on a you know, personal and historical level. Totally. 
And this is speculation, but to your point of it was a particularly difficult time to be a woman and a Jew and both at the same time. I'm sure a lot of that stubbornness came from being burnt so many times and from and from not being able to trust her peers, her society, etc. I mean, I think you do such a beautiful job translating these characters into more than just historical figures. I can see the threads of your own experiences and your own relationships tying back into characters like Amber and Rosalind. Like they're very real human characters. They're not just people that are appearing in a history book or in a case study about horrible things that occur on college campuses. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's really refreshing to read such a live and such detailed and such human characters. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I do think in some ways they are they're sort of the inverse of, of one another when I think about it. I mean, Amber is someone who wears her insecurities and anxieties on her sleeve. And, you know, Rosalind is incredibly buttoned up. But I assume that they, you know, share sort of at their core the same you know, drive to yes. have a good life, you know, and, 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 and both, both experience hurdles that, that, yeah, are not unfamiliar to me. Yeah, exactly. And it shows just the breadth of the Jewish and the human experience, like how we all manage to deal with life's circumstances, however they appear. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of life's circumstances, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Photograph 51 for the Williamstown Theater Festival, Last Matches Writers Theater. I wanted to talk to you about specifically the process and analysis of seeing a live stage production converted into an audio drama and films play. How did that feel for you as the playwright to be involved in that process to see your story translated in that format? Well, first and foremost, I was very grateful <laughs> for that, well, for both of those yes. um, experiences, just to have the work over the last, you know, year and a half, to have some some theater work. Yes. Uh, Williamstown shifted all of its productions that summer, you know, into audible plays. And I was, I've never done that before. I've never been a part of a, an audio play rehearsal or recording and we did two weeks of rehearsals all on zoom and I was really I was really struck by how even though that kind of rehearsal does not allow you to you know hang out on breaks and yeah. and you know it, it, there's a certain kind of camaraderie that's lost it's actually very effective and you feel like you get to know the people in the room. I mean, it's kind of remarkable. I, I, I actually really liked rehearsing in that way. Not that it would be my preference, but I, but I really did. I, I thought that Zoom was a sort of perfectly acceptable way to rehearse a play. All of it being new to me, though, I, while it was, you know, on our recording days, I found myself you know, making script changes that hadn't occurred to me before because, oh. you know, you're just so focused on, on the audio. You're not, there's no distraction of the visuals. Right. So, you know, it was a play that I've worked on for so long that I was then still finding things I wanted to tweak, I think because of that intense focus on the sound. So that was fascinating. And 
you know, kind of learning a whole new process, you know, texting your director. My director was Susan Stroman. She was wonderful. I would, you know, text her with notes while the recording was happening. I mean, this was all amazing. So, so novel, but it was really fun. And it was great to be in a room with people after being so isolated for, I think, four or five months. So I loved that. And then the last match at Writers Theater, I mean, at first it was heartbreaking because that was a production that was about to go up mm. when the pandemic started. I think they were had just finished tech, were about to preview. I had gone out to Chicago and and sat in on some of their rehearsals maybe a week or two before the pandemic. And it was so great. <laughs> it was such a nice, it was such a good team. Kira from the director mm-hmm. and Steph Paul, the choreographer, are really incredible. And I was very pleasantly surprised that they translated a lot of that ingenuity to the streaming version of the play. I mean, the the resources they put into it and the production values are like incredibly high. And yes. as someone who finds it very difficult to watch my plays in any form, I actually enjoyed <laughs> watching the streaming version of this play. So I think that they really captured something. I, I I don't really know how they sort of energetically managed to to do it, but at least I, as the biased playwright, thought they did a very good job, you know, kind of translating it into a movie. And it's not a movie. It's this, you know, yeah. weird hy- hybrid form of recorded play. So yeah, uh, yeah. I I was very impressed by it. I think a lot I'm I'm well I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of us in the theater world in the past year and a half have learned how much use and how wonderful it is to work online in many ways. Like, as you said, rehearsals on Zoom, very, very great, very convenient. A lot can get done. You remove a lot of the aspects of like traveling to and fro, people being late, people having to leave early. It's it's a very uh, focused place to be. I also thought it was interesting how you mentioned that by excluding the other senses, just having the audio present really helped you focus on the words, the story, just in the text and allowed you to make those changes. I wonder if you have, would have found those same changes had it been you know, a typically occurring rehearsal process. Maybe, maybe not, you know? I don't think so because yeah. I, you know, I had, I had that chance I, I, many yeah. times over. I've rehearsed <laughs> that play many, many times. So I, yeah, I think, I think yeah. this was very unique. Truly. And it's, it's wonderful to see this particular play translated in all these different formats because it, because we've, we have seen it on stage many times, but now we also have it as an audio drama and now we also have it as a film play and it shows the possibilities of performance and theater and plays to exist in the virtual world in the film world and on stage and more. It'll be fascinating to see if, if these kinds of theater kind of proliferate, you know, even if, and I'll say when <laughs> our, our theatrical world and and, and other world, all, all of our worlds return to normal. I suspect that, that they will. I think so. We will see, you know, streaming plays for a while. And I, well, I, you know, I think as, as most people do that nothing can replace 
live theater. the experience of live theater, which we all love, or we wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I, I think it's great that there could be, you know, this hot play like in San Diego and you could watch it in New York. I mean, I think it does open open up a lot of possibilities. Silver silver linings. Silver linings, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anna. We're gonna take a short break with a message from our sponsors. Thanks for listening to Theater Schmooze from Alliance for Jewish Theater. I'm Jeremy Aluma, the Executive Director, and I want to tell you about AJT's upcoming 2021 Virtual Conference. The 2021 Virtual Conference will be on Sunday, October 24th through Tuesday, October 26th. We'll have several events each day, so make sure to save the dates and buy your tickets now. More information will be coming out in the coming weeks and days, so check out our website, alljewishtheater.org, or email me at jeremy at alljewishtheater.org. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of Theater Schmooze, Season 1, Episode 7. All right, everyone. Welcome back to our interview with Anna Ziegler. I think we're going to focus on one last question for today, and that is about your current projects. So you have a commission for the roundabout. You got a musical commission with Anna Jacobs composing for Beth Whitman and Barbara Williams. It must be really exciting to have all these new projects coming up after a year and a half of not necessarily lying dormant because you were active <laughs> during the time, but to be actively collaborating with people again. From a personal standpoint, how does that feel? Like, is it exciting, overwhelming, all of the above? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would say it really was um, a lifeline over the last 18 months to have some of these projects that, you know, were kind of already in development. But, you know, I felt just to have, as you say, to have collaborators, to have partners who were <laughs> waiting for a draft or, you know, expecting something of me was really wonderful because my, my inclination is usually to sit on the couch and watch television if I possibly can. I need, <laughs> need to be motivated by other people and deadlines in order to get my work done. So, and I also think with everything shut down, just having as you said, theater be alive in some way yeah. for me was really important. The Roundabout Commission is is an interesting one because I, mean, I wrote it during the pandemic and yeah. it is, it is. I would not call it a, a pandemic play, but the pandemic is happening kind of in the background. Mm. So it's the kind of subtle context for this play that's about a young American woman, a college student, and then her older new British stepmother. It takes place in London and and it's about, you know, their kind of relationship shortly after this woman marries her father. And the the I think the pandemic is sort of a good backdrop for this play that explores how delicate all of our sort of grips on reality are yeah <laughs> both of these women are kind of haunted literally or figuratively by their mothers it's it's a play it's in large part about mothers or not having a mother mm. and not and and kind of choosing to live one's life you know despite despite hardship 
Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not, it's definitely not about the pandemic. And whenever I hear people say, oh, I don't want to see any plays that are about the pandemic. I think, oh shit, but I don't think it's about, (laughs) I'm going to stand by that. Yeah. It's a two person monologue play. So it's a little bit like actually, but it's, Oh, nice. Characters are very different. And then the musical, Anna Jacobs and I have been working on for a number of years now. Um, Wow. Okay. But we are, we, we were slow to find our topic. And, and now that we, now that we found it, now we're, now we're cruising. We just went to the Rhinebeck Writers Retreat in August and spent a week there together and I think we're, we're, we're close to our first draft and it's about, it's based on a true, this is based on a true story, a woman named Barbara Newhall Follett, who was a prodigy novelist. She was a, in the yeah. 1920s, she published a novel at age 12 that, that was quite acclaimed. And she suffered as a result, as many, as many prodigies do, child prodigies. The yeah. road ahead was hard for her and she wrote about her desire to kind of disappear. That was what her, Mm. that initial novel was about disappearing into nature, into the natural world. And when she was 25 years old, she herself disappeared and was never heard from again. And so there's an enduring mystery of what happened to her, but also kind of the way she foreshadowed her own, you know, possible ending in, in her writing. So um, it's, it's been an idea that's been, of hunting us for some time and and seemed seemed appropriate to work on this year once again when you know I think this this theme of of people kind of losing it <laughs> it's not a surprise <laughs> that that's what I was working on this year because yeah. this this woman really suffers yeah yeah these what 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 we call and I think are you know dissociative fugues Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and sort of starts starts gradually leaving leaving her life and then wow. ultimately never comes back so it's a very upbeat topic <laughs> it's it's a comedy no, it's, <laughs> I think it, it actually is not I don't think it is very bleak, no but, it, but, but she is but she is an interesting and sad figure I love a good disappearing story <laughs> yeah. uh. And that is fascinating, just the, the real life tale behind it. I'm I'm so excited to see how that appears in musical form. Oh my gosh. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but Anna Anna's a genius. She writes I mean, she's a wonderful composer. Yeah. So I'm very lucky. Have you two worked together before, before this multi-year process? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but now, now we've worked together for a long time. No, this was our first project. Oh, wonderful. What's been the most memorable part about working with her in the past couple of years? Well, I mean, to me, I'm, I don't write music. And so I, you know, I give her, our process is usually that, you know, so I write a rough draft of a scene Uh and then she takes that scene and somehow turns it into a song. And yeah, to me, it feels like magic. I don't know how she does it, but (laughs) I mean, probably in terms of, you know, the most memorable moment will be from our retreat in Rhinebeck this summer, we were alone in this house and there was a bat that got <gasps> in. So that will be very memorable for both of us for a oh, long for time. Sure. We we were we we were not um, maybe our 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 best selves when this bat <laughs> got into the house. We didn't know what to do. Anyway, that that was it was so, a lot of a lot of screaming from two sure. grown women. 
<laughs> I'm sure that bonded you together though, because often through those types of hardship, right, like exactly. road trips, camping, cabins in the woods, the, all the um, fun natural adventures that come with that, I think help really strengthen relationships. So I'm That's sure right. you. We were bonded by adversity. (laughs) A bat. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm I'm so excited for you and these projects and the beautiful writing you have been doing and will continue to do. It's just been such a wonderful pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Yes. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to Theater Schmooze. A special thanks to Danny Debner, our producer, Ilya Levinson and Alex Kaufman, the composers of our theme music, Jeremy Aluma, the executive director of Alliance for Jewish Theater, and the entire Alliance for Jewish Theater community. If you like what you've heard today, support this podcast and all of our initiatives towards connecting Jewish theater makers by making a tax-deductible donation to Alliance for Jewish Theater at alljewishtheater.org or joining as a member. Make sure to give us a review on iTunes and follow Alliance for Jewish Theater on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming Jewish theater events, group meetings, and news in our world. I'm Danielle Levsky, and I'll see you all next time. L'chaim. <laughs> <laughs>